When it comes to a patient suffering a medical emergency or a traumatic injury, healthcare providers at all levels have been taught to assure that the patient has an open, secure airway, is breathing effectively, and has adequate circulation. One of the tolls healthcare clinicians have in their toolbox to initially secure an airway is a nasopharyngeal airway. However, this device isn't without controversial, long-held beliefs about the use of the device. In this episode, we will discuss the science behind the nasopharyngeal airway and hopefully dispel some myths about its use. airway is a hollow flexible tube that healthcare providers can insert into a patient's nair to assist with either oxygenation, ventilation, or both. Now, the device is recommended for use in pediatrics, adults, and geriatrics. It is considered a basic airway device that can be used in patients who are suspected has a gag reflex and is in need of airway management for a short time or until a more advanced airway is inserted. Now, it is in the indications that the literature seems to be pretty consistent. As a result, most courses in several textbooks currently provide universal indications for the use of a nasopharyngeal airway. But let's take a look at what's not quite agreed upon. The discrepancy is the contraindications for the use of a nasopharyngeal airway. Now, a large majority of EMS textbooks have not been updated to reflect the issues associated with the contraindications. A lot of healthcare-focused textbooks and articles do not agree on the contraindications of a nasopharyngeal airway either. This then causes a problem for frontline clinicians. Now, according to the National Center for Biotechnology Information, or NCBI, stat pearls from 2020 indicate the use of a nasopharyngeal airway in patients with a basilar skull fracture, facial trauma, and nasopharyngeal airway, or sorry, nasopharyngeal disruption are contraindicated. Now, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, Emergency Care in the Street's 12th edition for the EMT states a contraindication with a history of a fractured nasal bone and a severe head injury with blood draining from the nose. Meanwhile, the ninth edition of Pre-Hospital Trauma Life Support, contraindications indicate there's no need for airway management. Now, the authors in this textbook mention that there is a case report of intracranial insertion of a nasopharyngeal airway. Now, the correct insertion technique will minimize this risk. A 2005 emergency medical journal review entitled The Nasopharyngeal Airway Dispelling Myths and Establishing the Facts indicates that there are two case studies that call attention to not using a nasopharyngeal airway in patients with basilar skull fractures. The Emergency Medical Journal article in the PHTLS 9th edition text bring straight up facts that are difficult to disprove. The first is outside of obtaining a CT scan, the diagnosis of a basilar skull fracture can only then be presumed if the clinical signs of a basilar skull fracture are present. 
Now, when taught about a basal or skull fracture, the classic presentation taught is that of raccoon's eyes, which is ecchymosis around the eyes, or the presence of battle signs, which is bruising over the mastoid process, you know, right behind the ears. However, these are not immediate findings, and in fact, they take 12 to 24 hours to present. Additionally, this bruising is found in many trauma patients and is associated with soft tissue injuries. That then leads to assessing for blood or cerebral spinal fluid in the nose and the ears. Now, there are many providers who will talk about using a halo test to assess for the presence of cerebral spinal fluid in the blood, which is coming from the ears or the nose. A halo test is where a clinician will take a 2 by 2 or a 4 by 4 piece of gauze and they will put a drop of blood that is obtained from the nose of the patient or from the ear of the patient where it has been witnessed coming out. And with a halo test, the thought is that you will get almost like a little bullseye where the blood will come into the center and then any cerebral spinal fluid will actually make a halo around that spot of blood, which, by the way, has a low sensitivity and specificity. So what does this mean? Well, with sensitivity, means that the test does not do a good job at identifying who actually has the presence of the CSF. Whereas, low specificity means that the test cannot provide a true negative result to those who do not have the presence of CSF in the blood. So a, clinic, a clinician must weigh the pros and the cons of inserting a nasopharyngeal airway in a patient who has a suspicion of a basal or skull fracture. The problem, though, is patients who have seizures, strokes, and traumatic brain injuries can have trismus or clenched jaws. So the clinician runs into a major problem when the jaw is clenched. If you need to secure an airway, you really your only option at this point is the insertion of an asopharyngeal airway. But your issue is that you've been taught of a contraindication of a head injury. Now, if they do not, and the clinician chooses to try an oropharyngeal airway, if there's a gag reflex, this is going to become more of a problem and actually compromise the airway by emitting vomitus in the airway, and it also increases intracranial pressure. Now, personally, I teach oropharyngeal airway is to be used for those patients without a, without a pulse because the fact is I'm securing their airway means that I am solving a problem, okay? So that means that if I induce emesis or increasing ICP, I'm not solving the patient's current problem and, and I don't find that the benefit outweighs the risk when a nasopharyngeal airway will work as well. Basically, if they're dead, they get an oropharyngeal airway. If they have a pulse, they get a nasopharyngeal airway until I can get a more definitive airway in place. Now, an area of concern raised by the Emergency Medical Journal article that I mentioned discusses a concern of measuring a nasopharyngeal airway to assure proper placement. Now, this concern was also supported by a separate case study found in a letter to the editor in the Journal of Anesthesia in Clinical Pharmacology in which the nasopharyngeal airway was measured from the tragus of the ear to the tip of the nose, and the diameter was assessed by the size of the nair. 
Now, there have been reports that the nasopharyngeal airway may not be long enough to bypass the tongue or not pass through the soft palate at all. So while not optimal, the tragus of the ear to the tip of the nose is preferred and then assessed to assure that there is effective ventilation. This requires that all, all clinicians assess for breath sounds and advanced level clinicians are encouraged to utilize electronic waveform capnography. Now, the majority of the literature has an agreement on the insertion of the nasal pharyngeal airway, as I mentioned earlier. The agreement seems to be to place the bevel, bevel of the nasal pharyngeal airway towards the nasal septum while assuring that the nasal pharyngeal airway is on the floor of the nasal canal so it reduces the chance of moving superior and into the cribriform plate. Now, there was only one article in which the description of keeping the bevel towards the nasal floor was actually recommended. Now, this is the first time I've heard about this and would warrant that there needs to be additional information before you start going to do something like that. So at the end of the day, what is it that we're looking at? Well, number one, a nasopharyngeal airway is indicated for anyone who requires temporary airway control to improve oxygenation and ventilation. Now, this includes individuals who are unconscious for any reason. If you need to manually open air airway, you probably need to consider the use of a nasopharyngeal airway. Number two, it should be the initial temporary airway of choice in any patient who has a pulse. This avoids attempting to see if the patient has a gag reflex. Number three, if a patient has blood from the nose, caution should be taken in securing the airway. There is no contraindications to insertion. Number four, measure from the tragus of the ear to the tip of the nose. Number five, insert a lubricated nasopharyngeal airway into the nair with a bevel facing towards the septum. Twisting it right and left will actually aid in the insertion of the nasopharyngeal airway, but you stop insertion when the flange of the nasopharyngeal airway rests against the nostril. Number six, assure proper air movement by assessing breath sounds. And finally, number seven, ALS providers should apply electronic waveform capnography before and after insertion of a nasopharyngeal airway to assure proper ventilation. If you want to check out more information, I have left references in the show notes for the articles that I utilized in the making of this episode. I hope this was helpful for you, and we'll see you again on another episode. Thank you.